Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. A young girl returns from preschool and tells her mother all about her new friend, Susha, and how this girl wants a color backpack like Susha and hair ribbons like Susha. The mother thinks little of it as her daughter talks of Susha every day after preschool. Until she drops her kid off at school one day and out of curiosity she asks the teacher to point out who this little Susha is. And the teacher says, what are you talking about? We have no girl called Susha here. Or what about the young boy who told his parents about what he called purple mommy? A woman who was all purple with long hair and bright eyes that were all white. Though at the time, the young boy kept getting the colors purple and black mixed up, so purple mommy could have been all black. And he told his mother that purple mommy would come into his room at night and pick him up. Then purple mommy would turn out the lights. The mummy got uh, particularly worried when her son said that purple mommy always needed bandages because she had blood everywhere and that she could even remove her head and that purple mommy hated daddy. (laughs) Or what about the child who told his parents he couldn't go to church that day? Why, they asked. He said, my invisible friend said he can't follow me there. These are all actual stories from parents and children who claim to have had invisible companions. But what are they and what might they mean? And is it possible that they could even drive somebody to murder? I'm Peter Laws and tonight on Frightful we enter the bizarre and spooky world of imaginary friends. Michael J. Hallowell wrote a book on this topic called Invisikids. The Curious Enigma of Imaginary Childhood Friends. He had two imaginary friends as a young child. He met the first one when he was a toddler. He was standing in the family kitchen one day when a small, elfin-faced woman appeared with messy blonde hair. She stared at him, tilted her head and said, Hello, my name's Maureen and I want to be your friend. He said he'd play with Maureen from that day on, hiding in cupboards together and bouncing up and down on the sofa giggling. But when he moved house, Maureen stayed behind. Hallowell says that this is a very common trait in imaginary friends' cases, that the friends do not seem to travel with the experiencer when they move house. He missed Maureen, but then he met a new friend in their new home. It was a flat in the northeast of England. And this new friend was another woman called Elizabeth. He said he met her while he was trying to build a toy zoo on the floor of his flat, but he couldn't figure out how to clip the fences together. Until this woman, Elizabeth, appeared to him and said, Here, 
I'll show you how to do it. And he writes this. I watched with not the slightest degree of surprise at her unannounced appearance as she proceeded to build my zoo for me. And then she smiled and went away. Intrigued by this experience, Hallowell started to write some articles in the Shields Gazette and the Fortune Times magazine, which is a magazine that I write a monthly column for. And in response, he was flooded with messages from people who had experienced imaginary friends themselves, including John Tatters from Birmingham. He said his toddler son had an imaginary friend back in the 1940s called Stephen. One day... John said that his son was playing in the back garden with Stephen, throwing a football around. And John saw something inexplicable that day. He said his son shouted, Here, Stephen, catch! And threw the ball. John writes this, I swear down that the ball seemed to stop in mid-air by the bush and then it sailed back across the garden toward my son, as if thrown by invisible hands. John was shocked and unnerved by this, and dragged his son inside, telling him to never mention Stephen again. Then there was John Alvarez, who grew up in New Mexico. As a four-year-old child, he was playing in a barn that belonged to his grandfather, Suddenly, he said that a bale of hay started to rustle as if there was something inside it. He was frightened it might be a rat, and he was about to move until he saw the top half of a man explode up through the hay. It was an old man with a black, wide-brimmed hat, and the man said, Hello, my name is Roggi Roggi. Are you okay? This double name thing, this rodgy, rodgy, double-barreled stuff, is something that Hallowell argues is extremely common in these cases. Indeed, I happened to mention imaginary friends to some friends the other day, real ones, that is. And as I spoke to them about it, a few of them started to share that they had imaginary friends as a little child and that their names were Bob Bob or Susu. Interesting. Then there's the case of Graham Smith, who's a computer technician, and he shared the following story with Hallowell. He said that his mother used to look after two local children while both of their parents were out at work. These two children were boys called Kevin and Tony. One day, the parents dropped Kevin off at Graham's house on his own, though. They said that they had to take Tony to the hospital because Tony wasn't well. So Graham's mum looked after Kevin all day that day and Graham said he played with Kevin. But then he said that a third boy was also in the house that day. Graham wasn't sure who he was or where he was from, only that there was a boy there in the house called Michael and he seemed to be fun because Graham, Kevin and Michael played together all day. But then later, the parents from earlier came back to collect Kevin and they looked devastated. Graham wasn't sure why at the time, but later he discovered that poor Tony had died in hospital. Turned out he'd had some sort of blood disease like leukemia. And Graham spoke to his mother about this, asking, But mum, 
who was the little boy, Michael, who played with us all day? And she got upset. And later, Graham overheard her talking to his dad. And she said that she was convinced that Tony's ghost had come to the house that day, despite his body dying in hospital. But Graham was insistent. This was a different boy, who looked different and had a different name. Graham said he got the chance to meet this boy one more time. And he said to this mysterious Michael, Where do you come from? And all Michael said was, I come from the funny place. And that was that. Graham's family eventually moved to Newcastle, and as is usually the case, he never saw Michael again. Then there was another case. A man called Randy James, who wrote to Hallowell from Ontario. He said that he had an imaginary friend called Gron, who used to appear in the forest. And James wrote this. He was small and had strange skin, and it was shiny. And he always liked to stand directly in front of me, facing me eye to eye. And if I moved my position, he would move at the same time so that we were still facing one another. I wondered if he thought I was trying to trick him or attack him. Whatever the case, one morning I told Gron about my dad's tractor which was busted and that my dad couldn't afford to get it fixed. And when I got home, my dad said that the engine had fixed itself, but he couldn't figure out how. But I knew it was Gron. A woman called Sharon told Hallowell about her eight-year-old son, Lewis, who had an imaginary friend. She said that when Lewis was three, Sharon and her husband would often hear him talking to someone upstairs. They would creep up to see who he was talking to, but he'd always be alone with his toys. And they assumed he was just talking to himself or the toys. Kids do that, after all. And yet, Sharon and her husband felt unsettled for other reasons. Because strange things were starting to happen in the house. Like items going missing, or tapping noises at the back door. And at one point, they even saw pennies falling from the ceiling. This, incidentally, could be one of the hallmarks of poltergeist activity. These strange events went on for some time, and the family never made the link between... Lewis's seemingly one-sided conversations in this bizarre poltergeist-type activity. Until two years into it when something disturbing happened. Sharon and her mother were chatting in the living room when they suddenly heard a blood-curdling scream come from upstairs. And Sharon specifically described this scream as, quote, simply horrible. <laughs> Did you know it's Earth Month at the moment? So what better way to celebrate than with Every Plate, the meal kit that makes sustainability a priority. Every Plate offsets 100% of their carbon footprint to your door, and the delicious meals they offer have a 31% lower carbon footprint on average than supermarket meals of the same portion. The ingredients come pre-measured so you cut down on waste, and they're sustainably resourced. For example, the seafood on the plan meets the Monterey Bay Aquarium seafood rankings. The packaging materials are curbside recycled 
recyclable in most areas of the US. Now, you might be like me and assume that all of this sustainability stuff would make it way too expensive. Wrong! These fully customizable every plate meals are 50% cheaper than your average casual meal. So you're not just saving the planet, you're saving money. It's a great choice for people who want to celebrate the Earth not just this month, but every month with every plate. Get started with every plate for just $1.49 per meal by going to everyplate.com slash podcast and entering code FRIGHTFUL149. That's every plate for just $1.49 per meal by going to everyplate.com slash podcast and entering code FRIGHTFUL149. Oh, it can feel so frustrating and frankly stressful when you feel like your financial goals are out of reach. But they don't have to be. Because with Chime's Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, you can build credit using your own money through on-time payments and little everyday purchases like gas, groceries, or streaming bills. Chime members see their credit score increase by 30 points on average, and Chime will even report your payments to the major credit bureaus, which helps you build credit over time. There are no annual fees or hefty security deposits or credit checks to apply. So why not make your financial dreams a reality with Chime? Signing up only takes two minutes and doesn't affect your credit score get started at chime.com forward slash frightful that's chime.com forward slash frightful the chime credit builder visa credit card is issued by stride bank na pursuant to a license of visa usa chime checking account and 200 dollars qualifying direct deposit required to apply for the secure chime credit builder visa credit card based on a study conducted by experian credit builder members observed an average 30 point fico score eight increase after eight months with regular on-time payments results may vary see chime.com for details out of Network ATM withdrawal fees may apply, except at Money Pass ATMs and a 7-Eleven or any AllPoint or Visa Plus Alliance ATM. She ran upstairs and her mum scrambled up after her, and they found Lewis lying on the floor, but he was covered in a massive pile of clothes. Sharon asked him, What had made him scream so terribly? And Lewis said that it was the fault of his invisible friend, which he then declared was called Douglas. Lewis said that he and Douglas had been playing when Douglas became angry, and Douglas had lashed out at Lewis and started throwing clothes from a rail nearby at the little boy. But something about this whole affair stopped Sharon from dismissing it. Instead, she sat Lewis down and said... I want you to tell me everything you know about Douglas. And what little Lewis said next was disturbing. He said that Douglas was seven years old and that he wore grey shorts, a white shirt and a funny flat cap. Sharon could tell he was describing the typical school uniform of a child from another era, the 1930s perhaps in England when school kids wore such clothes. Yet Lewis, still being a toddler, had no knowledge of this sort of historical school fashion. But then, after another two weeks, Lewis shared another chilling detail. He said that Douglas had been killed by his own father. And it happened on the farm where Douglas lived with his family. One day, Douglas was walking through the farm, utterly exhausted, and so he needed somewhere cosy to take a nap. And he went to a mound of hay, and rather than lie on top of it, he thought it would be nicer and warmer to bury himself inside the hay to sleep. It's also possible he wanted to hide from his father, so he wasn't seen as sleeping during the day. It worked. 
Douglas fell asleep inside the hay mound. But soon after, his father came into the barn. He needed to gather some hay. And to do that, he always used a pitchfork. The father got started by lifting the pitchfork and he rammed it into the hay. We don't know how many jabs it took. Perhaps it was the first. But soon the father was horrified when the pitchfork skewered something thick and heavy. And he frantically pulled the hay back to find his own son, either dying or already dead. This, little Lewis said, was Douglas, his friend, who, if you recall, when angry, had tried to bury Lewis under a pile of clothes, just as he was buried dead in the hay. This poltergeist activity went on and on and often seemed connected with Lewis. For example, whenever they told Lewis off, the lights would sometimes dim, and Lewis said that this was Douglas showing his anger at his parents for telling his little friend Lewis off. And what about this case from the UK? Rachel is a successful lawyer with her own consultancy firm in Berkshire, England. But one night, she was putting her four-year-old to bed when Thomas started talking about a man in his room. Rachel couldn't see anything, but her son kept pointing to the empty spot next to her, saying, He's there, standing right next to you, Luck. Rachel was concerned, but she shrugged it off as just an imaginary friend. So she tried something. She agreed with Thomas that a man was standing there, but she said he would be leaving the room with her so they could have a nice cup of tea together. They both wanted Thomas to get some sleep, and she thought that might be the end of it. But Thomas said the man kept coming back to visit him, and Thomas started drawing pictures of this man. He was bald, with thick-rimmed glasses, And this went on for a while, and the family just played along with it. Until a couple of years later, when something rather creepy happened. Rachel, the mother, and Thomas were at Rachel's father's house, and they were looking at old photographs, because Rachel was researching the family's history. And she and her father turned up an old picture of her paternal grandmother, and she was standing next to her second husband. Now bear in mind that Rachel had barely known this man and had no photographs of him. But Thomas happened to see the picture and instantly became animated. He said, that's him. Mommy, that's the man who used to come and play in my room. And sure enough, he had the bald head with the thick rimmed glasses. But then Thomas pointed at the woman next to him, his great grandmother. That was Rachel's grandmother. And he seemed to know her too, even though he'd never seen a picture. He said, Mom, that's the lady who came to our old flat and stayed with you when you had the car crash. Yes, it turned out that when Thomas was 20 months old, Rachel was in a serious car accident which almost killed her. But Thomas insisted that this lady in the picture, her dead grandmother, had come to her bedside to look after her at that time. Rachel said she felt the hairs on the back of her neck rise up. Was Thomas's invisible friend an imaginary friend? Or could it actually have been a dead relative? 
Another case featured a man who had an imaginary friend called Derek, who was a carbon copy of him. We were completely identical, he writes. I played with Derek for years, longer than what normal kids do. But he would always look at my mom and older sister with a sense of sadness eventually. He went away. 23 years later, I was digging through my mom's safe to grab some paperwork she kept for me. And I found a stillborn death certificate for a boy named Derek, who shared my birthday. It was only then that I discovered I was actually a twin. And my brother Derek had died during childbirth. In many ways, these stories of imaginary friends are both spooky, but perhaps even comforting. And yet, there are cases where so-called imaginary friends are not comforting at all. In fact, they can drive some people to kill. Join me next time for the second of this two-part episode of Frightful Exploring Imaginary Friends. In the meantime, you might be interested in finding out about my books and my other podcast, Our Curious Past. Check out peterlaws.co.uk. I'll see you next time, and uh, when you do come back, why not bring a friend?